Let's get into the Word here today. I would love for you to stand for the reading of the Word. We stand to honor the Word with our body. And so we do this as a practice. And so I'm going to read aloud, and you can follow along on the screens as well. And it says this, As still, this is Jesus' final night before the cross. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, and therefore I said it, that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for community. We thank you that we get to gather freely in this space to experience you. This is a joy that we don't ever want to lose thankfulness for. God, I thank you for our family that gathers here. And God, would you open our ears, eyes, hearts, and minds to what you have to say today, God. God, I need you, Holy Spirit. Without you, I am nothing. And Lord, I pray for everyone here today that the Holy Spirit would open their hearts today to receive this word as nourishment, that this seed would go deep in our hearts today, that what needs cut away will be cut away. But what needs growth, would you energize us today? In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. Please be seated. So we are in a year-long phrase called demonstrating the gospel. If you're new today, this is the phrase that God really kind of put on my heart about us being demonstrators of the gospel. And this is a great phrase because this is what it means to share the gospel, to live the gospel. It's not about handing out tracts, go door knocking. It's about living a life that is the gospel, that seems attractive to other people, that is different to this world, that it causes people to ask, what do you have that I don't have? And for us, demonstrating the gospel, and so we looked at what the gospel is, and we saw that the gospel is the kingdom. The good news, it's not any good news that Jesus gives. He gives the good news that is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, Jesus came, and it is an upside-down kingdom. It empowers the poor. It gives life to the broken. It sets captives free, amen? It doesn't come for the rich and the famous. It comes for those who are on the edge, the fringe of people, and it gives life. And we saw that Jesus, he not only teach, proclaimed, but he healed people. He healed, and he had spiritual warfare, which is a whole Western dynamic we've lost, And so part of this series, we're going to be doing some of that fun stuff as well. But in that, Matthew 10, Jesus lays out what it means to walk the gospel in community with a pure of heart, singularly focused that Jesus is everything that we need. He warns that there will be persecution, that your life, regardless of how peaceful you try to live, confessing Jesus as Lord is going to cause persecution in your life. And so he tells us in those final words before he sends out the disciples to demonstrate the gospel, do not fear. So I'm thankful for that. But how on earth do we do that? 
And that's why we've started this series the last two weeks. Pastor Craig and Joe have done amazing jobs at just talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. That he is not a force, he's not an energy, he's not a weird ball that we throw around to one another. No, he's a living, and that's charismatic joke for those who grew up in the charismatic church. He's an energy source and all that good stuff. He is a person. He is a person that interacts with us and encourages us. And he is someone that we walk with, as Joe talked about last week. The holy interruption is what I like to call about it. That we live lives that the Holy Spirit will interrupt to demonstrate the gospel for the love of your neighbor and of your brother. And so we're going to carry on this series. And actually, I'm going to do a three-part series this Sunday, take a break Easter, and then come back for the further two. I heard these messages last year, and they so transformed my view of the Holy Spirit. I was like, I've got to share these words. And so these inspiration I want to share with the context of what it means for our community here today. And so metaphors show up in Scripture for the Holy Spirit. There is water, there is dove, and there is breath. And so we want to look at each of these words each week. And so it's going to be a little different today. We're going to look at a teaching. We're going to follow the story of the Holy Spirit as water through Scripture. We're going to take the answer and then apply it to our lives. Normally, I cause all sorts of problems for you in the beginning, that this is the terrible thing that we have in our lives, and then I give you the answer. I'm going to flip that. I'm going to give you the answer first, and then we're going to explore what that means for our lives. Does that sound good? Fantastic. Wonderful. And so if you want to turn with me to your first page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, get those phones out. You can take off Facebook just for a moment and all the other stuff you're doing. And turn to your Bible app or your physical Bible. And we're going to look at the very first page of the Bible together to follow this narrative together. It says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and it was void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was hovering over the face of the waters. Now back in this context... Waters symbolized chaos. In fact, some of the Talmud, the Jewish writings, would add the destructive waters. And due uh, to the Eastern religions of the day, they would believe that the, f- the earth was formed out of a war that occurred in the chaos of the waters. So we believe that order came, wonderful things came about from the chaos. Other Eastern religions of the day saw that there was a war between all the gods. The one god won and brought about creation. And so we see a lot of in the mystical kind of like Eastern theologies that water was where the darkest evil spirits were, where the enemies were. The water was very fearful for Jewish people. It was nothing good. But we notice from the opening lines, the gospel of Genesis, the good news of Genesis as you were, is telling a better story. It's telling a story aimed at the people of the day. So you've got to think that this writing is not just for you and me, but it's also speaking to the people of that time. And this story was speaking to the chaotic waters that people were so fearful of. And then the story goes that the Spirit hovered over the waters. 
In that moment, God spoke light into that destructive moment. And light came, and then land came, divided the waters. And what we see is God doesn't remove the chaos. He transforms the chaos. And so what he does, he transforms the chaos, and he puts living creatures. He puts fish, and he calls it to be teeming with life. What was once destructive and terrible now becomes full of life. God takes the broken and restores the purpose. And so one thing I forgot to mention, just something to really help you reading the Bible. The Bible is one unified story. It's not just a self-help book, but it is actually a story telling of God's goodness, our brokenness, His restoration for this world. In fact, whenever you read a biblical story, just to nerd out on you for a moment, you can follow this pattern that will happen in every story. Creation, fall, restora- uh, redemption, and restoration. And so we're going to do that pattern with the Scripture. And we're starting with creation. And so we carry on the story, and as wonderful humans as we are, we mess it up. Um, we take what is the good creation, and we feel, and this is the sin issue that we deal with, I don't need God, I want all the power for myself. And I'm going to rule and reign by myself. And so sin comes into the world and all sorts of destruction. And so in Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, it says, He drove out the man, man and woman, plural, and the, to the east. I want you to hold on to that phrase, east. We'll come back to that in a moment. Of the Garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim, flaming sword, and turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Because if we had the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life, we would destroy everything. And so we know the story that water, again, becomes fearful. Um, It becomes, water becomes the very destruction of Noah. That's the interesting imagery. Why did God flood the earth? Well, he's also showing that the creation narrative is being undone. That's the story. How did creation come? The separating of the waters, light was come. That was order to chaos. Now suddenly chaos is raining back in. The waters are flooded all over the earth, meaning it's showing us that the world has fallen apart. Deconstruction is happening to the world. And so we see in Job, in Psalms, once again, water becomes chaotic. So coming back to that phrase, at the east of the Garden of Eden. This becomes a key. So again, another Bible nerd thing for you. Whenever you find the first of something, it becomes a key for how you read everything from Scripture. And so whenever you see they went to the east, that means things aren't going well. So Cain, the uh, son of uh, Adam and Eve, he killed his brother Abel and he went to the east. We see Lot, when he separated from Abraham, he went to the east. East. He formed Sodom and Gomorrah. And what happened with that? And over and over again, we see whenever people go to the east, destruction is about to happen. And so the story carries on with that. And we know that God is good. He keeps trying to intersect with hope in this chaotic message over and over again. But humanity keeps failing. He tries to connect. He tries to bring life. He tries to bring law. He tries to bring connection back again but we over and over again fail. We know that Israel gets destroyed in the ultimate punishment. Babylon comes in and destroys Israel. 
And what happens? The children of Israel go east. Go east to Babylon. So I want to jump on a few pages to Ezekiel, chapter 47. That's the middle book for you. Uh, thank you, Joe. That's nice. I can hear myself a little bit, a little boomy. Um, so Ezekiel, chapter 47. That's a center book in the Bible. Ezekiel, just for your background, uh, he was 30 years old when he was exiled. Can you imagine with me for a moment being exiled from your home, being sent to another nation, another land, another culture? He was a priest. He was someone set aside for God. And he was sitting on the riverside. Imagine this. You're sitting. It's your 30th birthday. You were meant to become ordained priest. And suddenly, a voice from heaven comes and shows you the most crazy dreams ever. You'd be like, what am I smoking? What is going on? Am I getting a contact high? What's going on right now? You'd be having all these thoughts of what on earth? Because God comes and invades in a human life. God comes and speaks to a human about the hope that he wants to restore. And so we're going to read together a long passage, but I have faith in you today. I have faith that we are going to read through these passages. So stick with me. This is going to be well worth it together. And so Ezekiel, imagine he has many of these images, and this is one of the images that he has. Remember, he's sitting in Babylon. He's sitting in a foreign culture. And it says this, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of a temple towards where? The east. For the temple faced east. That's beautiful. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. And he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside of the outer gate and faced towards the east. And behold, the water was trickling out from the south side. Going on eastward... With a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water and it was ankle deep. And again, he measured another thousand and led me through the water and it was knee deep. And again, he measured another thousand and he led me through the water and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass through for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in a river that could not pass through. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on one side and on the other. And he said to me, the water flows towards the eastern region and goes down to Arabia and enters the sea. And when the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And whenever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be a very many fish. For the water goes there, and that water of the sea may become fresh, so that everything will live where the river goes. Final part, guys. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Ingain and England, and it will be a place of the spreading of the nets. Its fish will be very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea, but its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt, and on the banks of both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the, from the sanctuary, and their fruit will be food and their leaves for healing. Take a breath. 
So this is a beautiful picture. Amongst the fall, amongst the brokenness of this world, this priest sees an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Spirit of water suddenly coming. It's flowing from the east over and over again. The east, the east, the east. This water that was once destructive is now again going to become healing to the nations. And it's an invitation, I love that, that God says, I invite you into these waters. Every single fish, can you imagine every single fish representing all the nations are going to come into this water and they are going to be healed. All the things that were dead are now going to have life. The dead things of this world are going to come to life. And all of this was given while Israel were under oppression. Let's carry on here. We're going to look quickly at the redemption story. So we've looked at the creation. We've looked at the fall. But even in the fall, there is hope. And so Jesus, in this moment, on the last day of the feast. So let me pause there for just some quick context. There was this feast, this celebration called the Feast of Tabernacles. This Feast of Tabernacles went on for a week long. And Jesus, on the great day, so it lasts for seven days, and on the greatest days, again, imagine a 4th of July. If we had a week-long celebration and 4th of July was the seventh day, Jesus is about to rock up. And so what happened in this Feast of Tabernacles, they would gather every morning, they would build tents. So maybe if you've lived in New York, you might have seen some shelters made. And Jewish people would live in makeshift homes for a whole week, even today. And they would remind themselves that Yahweh saves. And in that moment, on the seven days, they would come to the temple and they would worship. They would sing songs and the priests would gather these great big uh, water holders, whatever you want to call them, um, and would gather and would pour water down the east steps of the temple. And this would happen every single day. And on the seventh day, you can imagine, the crowd has gathered. They are crying and weeping for they want to see the water. And they would pour this water, jar after jar after jar, and it would be like a river flowing down. In this moment, Jesus declares and stood up and said, if anyone thirsts, Let them come to me and drink. And you wonder why Jesus got killed. He is making a staggering statement in this moment that he is the Messiah. If anyone is thirsty, let them drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. This beautiful sense that they were reenacting Ezekiel's prophecy, and in this moment, Jesus turns up. Anyone who becomes the, comes to the source will become the source. I love that God is always designed for collaboration with people. Uh, Jesus had become the flowing water. He had been uh, been healing. He had been providing. He had been the source of water that had healed and been the leaves of the healing to the nations, taking the broken, taking the impoverished, and healing them. But John points out, in a keen point, that this is not yet fulfilled. And so just one couple of chapters over to Acts chapter 2. We have this moment where the Spirit is poured out 
The Spirit is poured out. This great wind comes rushing through, and suddenly everything changes. It's like this river of living water, a sunny burst through on these 120 people, and suddenly Peter begins to declare the gospel, and 3,000 people are saved. And just some looks here, and it says this. This is what Peter declares. And in the last days, telling of a prophecy, God declares that he will pour out my flesh, my spirit on all flesh. Remember that pouring language. And in verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. This language, over and if you look in chapter 2, you see this language over and over again, pouring out, pouring out this fresh. And so suddenly, this holy huddle that had been happening, the 120, suddenly became the water flow out of the east to the whole of the Roman Empire. What broke the Roman Empire? The spirit of love. The spirit of love came and permeated everything, and these common folk suddenly became empowered to transform a whole world. And today, 2,000 years on, over a billion Christians around the world, we see this life of water flowing out, but it gets better. And as we land this today, so we've talked, about redem- we've talked about creation, the fall, redemption, and we're going to finally land for restoration in Revelation 22. Again, this image of water. In the chapter 21 before, suddenly the ocean disappears. There is no ocean in the future. And that's not um, literal language. Please understand that. Jesus loves the ocean very much. But what does ocean represent? Chaos. There will be no chaos. And suddenly in chapter 22, there is no ocean, but there is a river. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life. That it's 12 kinds of fruit, all sorts of imagery you could go into, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The fulfillment of Ezekiel's. And so for us today, take a deep breath again, everyone. Breathe out. Thank you for joining me on that journey. What on earth does that mean for you and me? For us, we find ourselves in the middle of that story. We've seen creation. We've seen fall, but we've also seen redemption. And we're going to be celebrating that next weekend. So we're in this time of redemption and restoration where we believe as a church the vision of a transforming people who transform their world. This message is my favorite of the three because it aligns so well with what our vision is all about as a church. And this is why we need the Holy Spirit together. Let's go back to the passage of John quickly. So Jesus' final words here, and I love verse 15. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said it, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. In other words, what the Father has is now yours. This beautiful invitation over and over again that we see that the Holy Spirit is our invitation into the kingdom life. Everything that the Father has is now yours. And I love the image of the rivers of living water. So we'll just camp in Ezekiel for a moment. 
I want rivers of living water flowing out. That's what Jesus said when he declared, and uh, John said, all who are thirsty, come and drink, and the water I'm going to give to you is going to flow out of you. It's going to come. I want you to come to me, all who are broken, all who are weary, all who are in need of a Savior, come to the water. Come get healed. I think so often we create churches where there's an entrance fee, as it were, that we have this bar that people feel like they have to be right before they come into the building. I can't tell you how many times people always tell me, I couldn't come into church because the roof would fall on my head. And we all know that's a complete lie because the roof right now would have fallen on our heads, right? There is nothing about us that is attractive, but it's because of a Savior that God redeems and renews. And I want to create a church that understands this, that we have an, a, ch- uh, a church that invites all people. Broken, come with your sickness, come with your pain, come with it, sit in it. You don't have to get it fixed, but God will fix you. Because He loves you so much, He doesn't want to keep you the same. So it's that tension that we have, that we feel like we have to have it together. Maybe Sunday you've turned up because you feel like you've done enough good things to be here today. Maybe you feel like you've got yourself in the right place and I'm good to come this Sunday. But that destroys what grace and the river is all about. That God invited Ezekiel into the river. He didn't say, this is the list of teachings you need to know before you go into the river. It was just, come jump in the river doesn't mean that you have to have all this kind of stuff right together. Jesus' invitation is open to us all. And many of us, we stand on the bank of the river. We stand on the threshold of it. We, we see maybe other Christians. We see other people. We understand teachings and knowledge. And we see people maybe swimming. Some may be drowning um, in it. We see all different types of Christians. And we stand on the threshold and we know so much. But yet we never experience this living water. We never actually jump into the river. For whatever reason, whether we feel it's unsafe or we just don't understand it, we cannot experience that living water. And I love that Rick opened, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The only way that we're going to know if God is truly good is if we taste of this living water. But in this Western world, we rationalize all the Scriptures. I can teach Jesus and make Him just a really good, morally good person. And I can leave him at that. But the Spirit is so much more. It's so much more. And we just leave Christianity at models and the three-step program. But Jesus today, and I believe for the culture of our church, is saying, will you get in the river? Will you let the Holy Spirit reign in your life? It's one thing to let you follow the principles of Jesus, but there is another step that we need to take as a church. See, the life without the Spirit actually works. It actually works until it doesn't work. It works really well. You can follow all the teachings and be a good, humble person that serves, that loves people. But what happens when that crippling fear and anxiety takes hold of you? What do you do when the past abuses or past traumas or messes come into your mind? That moment you discover you have cancer or disease, when your marriage is failing, when that community 
that you loved so well now stabs you in the back. What do you do? The idea needs to move to experience. The God who brings order to chaos can do this. Many of you know this passage very well. Be still and know that I am God. And we love that. I love quoting that uh, over and over again. But do we know that this actually begins with chaos? Let me just read you the first opening words that ends, be still and know that I am God. It opens with this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear through the earth gives way, though the mountains may be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble as it's swelling. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. A beautiful tension that there is chaos. We are aware fervently of the brokenness of this world, even more because you are bombarded by social media over and over again of the four, five, ten worst things that are happening in this world. And we fail to see that there is a river that is flowing right now. Be still and know it finishes. So it starts in chaos, but it finishes in stillness, in wholeness. And that is the vision of this whole book, that God wants to take the chaos of the world and transform it into order. Here and now can we get that in our hearts, church. Not a rapture, not an escapism that one day, if we just hold on tight enough, that God will save us. No, God has given you the Holy Spirit for this reason. Why would he want you to escape if this is the vision of the whole biblical literature? I feel like we've shortened Scripture because we just don't read it or understand it. And it feels way easier to just escape. When Jesus says, no, would you get this message? There is chaos, but there is a river, and you can be that river. Are you thirsty today? Or are you comfortable? Preparing for this message this week, I was just checking my own heart. Am I thirsty enough to jump in the river? Or am I happy to just walk on the edge of the banks of life and just see other people and maybe get my ankles a little bit wet and say, I'm a Christian? Or will I experience the fullness of life and actually let the Holy Spirit manifest in my life? And in a moment, we're going to pray for one another. We're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to be filled in your life. And we'll explain more about it in the moment. But the invitation is not just an invitation to be with. As I've said, it's an invitation to be part of. The rivers that we experience with healing, as we've heard testimonies today of God's healing and His provision, we have all experienced in the room a level of healing. That's why we stand here today. That's why we sit and gather today, because we know that as we gather, there is transformation that happens. We know that there is a faithful God the river of healing becomes an invitation for us to become that. And this phrase that I love, the powerfully healed become powerful healers. The powerfully healed become powerful healers. It's not through our strengths, uh, but actually through our wounds. The church were broken and common people. Peter denied Jesus three times, yet he is the person who declares this new gospel. It takes the brokenness of this world and transforms it. It doesn't do away with it. Think about Mary, a demonized woman 
had multiple demons, probably rejected by society, yet she was the one to bear the good news to the world. A woman, first off, a broken woman, second. That is the gospel. It transforms. And her healing power becomes the very healing that we need. Think about Paul the terrorist, who was once advocating against killing Christians. And he becomes the very vessel that we have 13 lessons in the New Testament. Jesus takes the broken and heals them. The powerfully healed become powerful healers. This is the kingdom. Jesus is the wounded healer, to coin a phrase by Henry Nouwen. By his stripes, we are healed. Not by his Lexus or his night sweet car or his Gucci, whatever. It wasn't through his affirmation of other leaders in the world. No, it was through his brokenness that we understand our healing. Now, my own story. As a kid, a young adult, I'm told I was never going to amount to much. I was super shy growing up, never the brightest, never the quickest. And standing before you today, I'm teaching people the very thing that I hated the most about life, doing English presentations. Hated it. I don't know if you resonate with me, but I hated it more than anything else because I just knew that I was going to fail. I just knew that this life was just, I didn't even have an aim in life growing up. I was kind of just kind of like meandering through life with no vision, just hoping to make it through. But I had a yes in my heart. I loved Jesus with all of my heart. And I just said, yes, amen. That's what we want. I'm not qualified in any way, but all I said was yes. And the powerfully healed become the powerful healers. And so my brokenness of being bullied and all that good stuff that happens in life God has managed to transform that. And so he is using me as a vessel now to proclaim the gospel, to teach people. I mean, my friends who would sit on the front row would be like, there is a God. (laughs) And the problem is, is that you only get to see me now. You don't get to see the work and the pain and the suffering that has gone through into this moment. For all of us, we hurt. And I I really do believe the enemy goes after the very thing that your strength is. So if mine is now communication, sharing in front of people at ease, it feels like now, after years of struggle and pain, the enemy attacked and tried to shut that down. But what about your life? What is it about your life? The enemy has attacked. He has brought shame. He has brought curse. He has brought pain upon your life. Where has he shut you down? Because God wants to transform it and use it for the kingdom. That's the kingdom. The water of the Spirit, it touches, it transforms, and it heals, and it empowers into more than we could ever do. Just uh, sharing even in Connect Group this week. I love my Connect Group. I love that we get to do life together and journey. And there was only just a handful of us, and we were just sharing stories with one another. And Sarah said it was okay for me to quickly share this story. Um, she has, uh, from a biological father, some, there's some brokenness and addiction on the, the drug side. And they have uh, a second cousin, Maddie is the name, Maddie. And they live in Baltimore. They're homeless. And she recently OD'd, uh, thankfully still alive. But Sarah has just been relentless in texting encouragement to that. And she texts back, I, I believe, recently and said... Um, Don't think my not replying is anger towards you. In fact, I don't know how to handle someone loving me. 
And what a story was is that this story of, of maybe a broken, you know, uh, relationship that came, addiction on the one side, Sarah is just one of the greatest encouragements. And, and we've all got our stuff we're going through, right? We've all got our things that we're wrestling with. But I just love being around Sarah and Troy, just encouragement in our group. But she takes that. She took the narrative of the chaos of the water, and she is transforming her story. And she's bringing encouragement to the family. It's that simple when we let the river of the Holy Spirit flow through us. But I think the tension is, is that we don't step into the river. I think the tension is, is that many of us are trying to live Christianity, again, on the bank, trying to look at it. Maybe it looks like chaos. Maybe it looks scary. But I want to journey as a church to bring healthy spirituality. You are supernatural. You believe in something you can't see. That's weird. You talk and we sing to screens. When people come into the church, is it a concert? What are we doing here? It doesn't make sense. You and me, I want to learn what it means to live naturally a supernatural life. There is such an entwine that we have made it so weird and we need to bring it back. We need to understand what it means to live in the Spirit. And so as we close, I want to invite the uh, prayer team up today.